obviously we're talking about property investment here. There's other investment asset classes that you can put your money into, stocks and shares. For instance, you can make the picture even more cloudy by saying, well, people can invest in things like real estate investment trusts. So if you see real estate investment trusts, they're basically vehicles where people invest bits of money into properties, backed against properties. So it's not a building per se, it's a, it's a basket of um, properties that people will have put money in. So as, as property increases in value, your returns on REITs, you know, your shares in this property portfolio will, will, go, will go up as well. So there's uh, an investment component to this, and it's essentially what we're looking at here is the building, not necessarily you know, a, um, a shares type, REITs type consideration of, of, of shares backed against property. Um, so the investor is going to invest capital in the anticipation of future cash flows. So this in investment capital, we're talking about putting money, you know, putting financial lumps of cash into a building and expecting some sort of small amount of return from it, some income, these rents that we've been talking about. You know, they're the sort of the, the cash flow things that are going to come out of that investment of buying that million dollar building. You're going to get some cash flow coming through. Hopefully that's fairly straightforward. But there's also the, the building itself is going to appreciate in value um, or depreciate in value. Often we see them appreciate in value. We'll just go with that rule of thumb, particularly in the residential um, sector, that yeah, there's a sort of a, a tendency, a, a doubling of market price every 10 years. So if you go on that rule of thumb, it's not guaranteed. It's certainly better than running your money uh, through the casino. Uh, but that's a sort of, you know, when you look at the broader trends, you see the cycles, but you see the cycles getting higher and higher over time. So there's, a, there's a, an expectation that the, the value of the building will increase over time. That's what we mean by appreciation of, of, of the asset. So there's a certain investment component there, so as well as cash running through and income running through, that increase. And there's also an expectation that the value, the capital value will increase as well. So, or it could be a combination of the two. So it's all about this relationship between how much income cash wants to be run through and how much um, an expectation of selling the building into the future is going to be in terms of its asset value. Hopefully that's yeah, a fairly um, clear idea to, to all of you. you know, you'll see this in the housing market. You, know, you, sort of, you get some expected rental income from a particular house, but you're expected to go up in value as well. So you know, even if you're an owner-occupier, you're a sort of a pseudo-investor as well. However, you've, only, you've got to live in that property and you're, you're working within the same market as everyone else. But if you've got two properties, you can, you've got something to sell and something to buy. Uh, but you know, if, you, if you're selling in the same market that's appreciating at the same time, there's no, you know, it's a zero sum game, there's no net benefits. But if you can have two properties and, and enter and leave the market at the right time in the market cycle, that's where money is made from your investment. <coughs> so why do people invest? And I suppose what we're saying here is why do people invest in, in property? Uh, there are other asset classes around. Um, so it's people have got spare cash, spare capital that they want to put somewhere rather than the bank. So that's why you know you see these big firms, big international firms with lots of um, surplus cash that they need to put somewhere to get some return. And they're going to be looking at where the, the best return could be made on their money. And if property is doing you know, 15%, 20%, there's going to be a, a move towards that. So it's people have got surplus capital in terms of financial capital. Um, the business might be an investment business and they might be in the business of investing in property. 
and also as a factor of production I just mentioned in a residential capacity that people living in a house you know they're going to be <coughs> an accidental investor if, it, if they sell down the line and end up renting or whatever um, so a business might have actually own uh, so a company might own their own property as well so it might make sense as a factor of production to own the building that they do their operations out of is what, what we mean by that that makes sense so it's a certain factor of production yeah, the business is owning the property because it, you know, it gets the benefits of, of uh, the operations within the building. So that's why it's sort of um, you know, why invest in property because they're in it anyway, because they um, they might be in the business of property investment and they might just have surplus cash that they want to get some return on. Um, ideas here about um, life cycle. We talked about life cycle of buildings, but there's also a life cycle of investment as well. Uh, three phases here, so there's that sort of phase one, identifying, securing, analysing, financing and purchasing the investment. So it's that sort of pre-purchase type considerations, uh, looking in terms of, of you know, how yields are softening and hardening. There'll be some commercial foresight into uh, whether a purchase is going to uh, generate some anticipated returns. Things might happen, there's sort of wider risks. There's what we call systemic and non-systemic risks. We won't go into that here. Uh, things like GFCs, global financial crises, you know, they can't be built into these models and all this analysis, but it's certainly part of the, the bigger picture. And you can look at sort of, um, yeah, wider environmental factors that, that you're doing within your assignment. Phase two is the most important thing here, isn't it? It's what we're doing for this course, and it's that layer of sort of operations, maintaining, managing, the investment while it's being owned. Then as a manager you're working on behalf of the client who owns the building, unless you're the property manager and the owner. So there's that that phase two layer is what we what we're putting a lot of our energy into in this particular course and being able to control this part of the equation. And there's phase three where you start to think about well the buying and selling of the, you know, buying at the right particular market cycle. That's a, a cycle of price going up and down. Um, so there's a certain um, consideration there, and there's this, the marketing that might add a little extra premium on there in terms of how well the property is marketed. But you know, a lot of it comes down to economics and economic cycles, um, or out of necessity, you know, for a change of business, uh, for instance. Now this diagram, I mean, the, the arrows are all over the place, but I think the, the principles are there to understand the different forces that are in play in investment. You know, we've just talked at the top about um, you know the different qualities in terms of returns like capital returns um, rental returns and other income uh, we've certainly talked about you know, renting out of space but also renting out of other aspects of the space we use ideas of billboards and all those sorts of things so there's other income generating aspects to, to property uh, I think those in the middle We'll, we'll talk about the bits in the middle in a second. I mean, the OPEX, the debt servicing, and the maintenance are sort of more draws of expense out of a particular property investment. OPEX, familiar to you all now. Uh, debt servicing, we didn't speak, speak about too much, but it's a significant component. And certainly I'd put that in your assignment in terms of when we, when we say debt servicing, it's interest, interest payments. You know, if it's, if it's highly geared, that's another sort of investment technical term. What we mean by highly geared or highly leveraged is a lot of debt. So if you're buying a million dollar property with $950,000 debt, you know, that's highly geared. So 
if you do that, even if you're highly geared, interest rates are going to be really sensitive, aren't they? A change in from 5% to 10% on borrowing, and you borrowing that 950 grand, is going to be pretty significant in terms of your costs. So debt servicing can be quite a significant factor um, uh, when, we, when we're thinking through interest rates. Um, and we see that in the, certainly in the residential market at the moment, and um, people having to um, yeah, make decisions based on um, interest rates that are, that are still rising. Um, the other sort of, you know, these are sort of wider environmental factors that you're sort of building into your uh, assignment, you know, demographic changes, wider economic changes, you know, whether, whether place there's economic growth as symbolized by GDP or GBA, social considerations, um, where, where people are living and working, driven by sort of uh, relationships with people, whether your business is a people-based business or not, political considerations, and within that, uh, maybe some policy, tax, legalities, changes, you know, there might be some sort of health uh, underlying regulation that, that's being put in terms of how a building should operate, for instance. You know, that's going to have a massive impact in terms of the, the whole um, forces that, that are playing out on, on whether your investment will uh, return what you expect it to return. And then there's these in the middle that, that are also sort of key considerations, inflationary considerations and real. And we'll, we'll move on to those sorts of questions on further slides. I think the big takeout term terminology that you should be familiar with is this idea of real and nominal. And I'm sure in your Econ 201 you'll be talking about that sort of stuff. Um, real is essentially when you take off inflationary considerations. Um, so uh, when you take off rises in what goods and services cost, it's, that's what you net against and then you've got a, a real value. But at the same time, it depends what you consider in those inflationary changes. You can talk about the inflation of buildings increasing, or you can talk about the inflation in terms of consumer goods and services that are increasing, which means that you've got less money in your pocket to spend because all the prices of bread and you know, consumer items and TVs, whatever it is, are going up in price. So there's a certain, just think about inflation in, in different ways, as well as that nominal and real. Think about it in terms of, um, um, yeah, the ways in which um, inflation can affect sort of um, buildings themselves, and then the actual consumer consumer goods uh, that that change the amount of money people have in the pocket. And we'll we'll run into this in a minute as well, but it's just sort of a primer. Remember that inflation is very different to things like discounting. You've probably done a bit of work on discounting. In, the, in your valuation stuff and what that means, and it's very different to depreciation. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So inflation, depreciation, uh, and discounting are three different concepts, but they do sort of change the value of money and they change the value of real things, real property. We'll move on to that in a second. So that, that model is just sort of bringing forward some of the forces that are applied that might change the investment outcome that you put in. We talked about models, remember we put up that diagram of like the London Underground and stuff. So models are just a, an abstraction of reality. They're just sort of a, a sign of, of a, a larger signifier. And budgets that you're doing, all these financial statements are, are models in themselves and, and the way in which you can analyze and that, that variance analysis that you're doing, that's, that's a, they're models in themselves, you know, when you look at the changes of what's actual and what's budgeted. Um, so, so the important bit here is that you know financial models that we that we look at are are important to to see whether um, certain um, activities and forces are, are making changes in any way. 
um, by doing so sensitivity analysis or that example of looking at how interest rates might change from 10% to 20% how that that will play a part in budgets how inflation will have a part to pay, play in, in changes I think that's just more of a general statement about you know models being more complex in reality but it's a way of sort of building out to a closer understanding of truth so here there's a whole heap of stuff about you know why choose real estate investment in the first place we start to allude to a few in terms of um, the types of returns you get you know the cash returns the capital appreciation and something else you know whether businesses do it because that's their in, that's their um, sort of main business drive to, to invest in property uh, or it might be because they live within uh, they work within a particular property so it makes sense to work and own the building uh, other other reasons people invest in in real estate even if they're not using that building would be having some sort of personal control um, there's certainly a, a lot of um, it's human emotions economics has took a behavioral turn you'll probably see this in the econ uh, module there's a lot of behavioral economics in, in terms of how psychology meets economics so pride of ownership there's a certain value because if people feel that if they own the building the big cheese has a certain um, ego value to it so there's a certain pride uh, that, that, that plays a part and, and how that can spill over into economic benefits and value um, things like properties as a you know a vehicle to reduce tax bills that sort of stuff um, I think the uh, the inflation hedge is an, is an interesting one so when we see um, buildings and, and investment in property it's over a longer term isn't it you know buildings are big lumpy goods that last 20 30 years and their investment ability can last 20 30 years other investments other asset classes might come and go there might be some tech startup that's a flash in the pan but property is the long haul isn't it you know by and large it could be 20 30 years in, it, in its life cycle so that means that you can hedge that uh, appreciating value and that appreciating investment return against short-term inflation so inflation might be going like this but your property investment is just going like that in a steady rise so you can hedge against those movements uh, so that's why that's might play a part in terms of choosing property because it's a safe long-term bet and hedging against those more volatile sort of, uh, cycles that might happen. Uh, diversification, so you might want in your property, in your investment portfolio, you might want some property, you might want some stocks and shares, you might want some cash, you know, it's all those sorts of diversification. Not putting all your eggs in one basket is sort of investment 101, isn't it? Uh, so those are the sort of reasons of why people might invest in property. Um, sitting in terms of people's um, goals and objectives of investing in property um, you know we've used several sort of broader goals one might be because uh, a certain <coughs> property portfolio is being encouraged by an owner who's very interested in green credentials and they're really interested in making sure they have the latest um, passive um, green star you know, best available green uh, commercial offices you know that might be their goal to be the, the leading company in providing green buildings and that feeds through into to, to the objectives and investment characteristics you know there's a lot of um, um, investment in what's referred to as ESG so this is another sort of aspect that is of interest to you guys uh, which is environmental social and governance considerations 
So if people are investing in environmental, social and governance considerations, especially in their buildings, there's, a, there's, a, there's an additional green premium and you can get a kickback from that. So that's just sort of matching. The goal is to have that portfolio of the you know, green, uh, environmentally friendly buildings, but there's also that investment strategy that's tied to that, that wider goal. So I hope you can see those sorts of, sort of connections there in that example. So characteristics, um, so there's a whole heap of different characteristics. I think a lot of them are quite obvious and some of them are a bit more convoluted. We'll just work through what we can here in terms of um, time and of interest and keeping this fresh. So fixed in location, property, it's a bit of a property 101, but this is all, remember, tied to investment and all this investment stuff is property management is how you can get a better net operating income. Well, if you know that a particular property in a particular location is sought after, it's fixed in supply, and you can make a lot of money out of it because there is only one city centre of Christchurch, for instance. You know, and that's these buildings are fixed in supply. People talk in economics about an inelastic supply; it's fixed. You know, demand can change, but if supply is fixed, you know, the, the, what you can charge out and the price can quite quickly rise. Um, so it can't be moved, it can't be taken away. Uh, they use the word heterogeneous. So there's, as well as sort of that argument that there's a single fixed supply, every place on the earth is individual. Uh, so every place that a building can be put is different as well. So there's that heterogeneous sort of argument in terms of property. But if there's a city centre argument where everyone wants to move into where all the action is in the city centre, that sort of negates this idea of, you know, it doesn't negate the idea, but what's more important is that single fixed piece of earth in the city centre of Christchurch rather than, oh, well, we might as well build out in um, you know, out into the hills, out into the mountains, wherever. You know, it's not, it won't matter because the demand is, is in that, uh, towards that fixed supply uh, in the city centre. So, so there's that heterogeneous idea of every, every piece of land and uh, <coughs> many to it. <coughs> So, yeah, because of that, because of that fixed supply, you know, you're at the mercy of, of demand and population. If population's growing, um, you know, that's quite an, an easy sign of, of um, how price can be increased and rent's going to be increased and you know, return back to NOI. Um, there's also the economic life of buildings. I just mentioned that 20, 30 years. So it's got a, a long economic useful life. Um, <clears throat> Some buildings you know, can last centuries if they're looked after and have a particular purpose. You know, we use that example at the start, don't we, about castles and Buckingham Palace or wherever it is. You know, if, if there's a desire to hold on to that property in a particular location, you know, there's going to be resources that enable that, um, that building to, to remain for many, many years, like, I don't know, Number 10 Downing Street or the Beehive in Wellington. You know, there's a real sort of... Um, way in which those sorts of buildings can, can maintain a very, very long economic life. 